Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 43. again i mean it's been three weeks that's like the longest i've ever gone it's almost been a year i've been doing this podcast i couldn't stop now but i can understand why maybe you thought that i was done but you know life gets in the way sometimes life finds a way two weekends ago we went up to boston for our friend christine's wedding to a lovely gentleman named tom so now we have two friend couples named tom and christine Adding into the two friend couples we have named Ryan and Kristen, so that's always fun, you know. But uh, it was a great wedding. I got to see a lot of old friends. I mean, it's kind of amazing. I was uh, standing in this room at one point. And I'm like, I've known like 15 people in this room for more than 25 years. It's pretty crazy. A lot of college friends. It's college. Christine was a college friend, and Holly was there, and Brianna, and Jen, and Sean, and Jussie. It was amazing. A lot of people. A lot of memories. A lot of good times. So that was fun. We stayed just one night up there with uh, Sean and Jesse. We stayed at their house, and Jane stayed in Chapel Hill with Grandma. Well, you know, Chatham County, our version of Chapel Hill out here. And she did great. They had a little sleepover at the house next door. That was pretty exciting. And then that was, like, I think my fourth or fifth trip in five weeks. So from there, I got to stay home for eight days. It was amazing. Then I went to New York for work. And that was, wait, no, I, that's not true. Then the next thing, I, I can't even remember the order. I went to New York. I've been to New York twice since I last did this. Then we had the holiday weekend here. We had a bunch of visitors. Amelia came down from New York. And Nick and Megan and Henry came over from Wilmington. We all had a lovely holiday weekend. We got bar barbecue at Island and Sons. We went to thrift stores. We made bar. We did grilling here. We played Harry Potter trivia. It was just a lovely weekend of not being around the computer. And, you know, at one point I thought maybe I would like interview Amelia or Nick or Megan for the podcast, <laughs> but I still have continued my streak of no guests. I don't even know how I could have a guest. And Nick would have been such a great early guest too, because he's so chatty and we've known each other for so long. We've had some crazy adventures like, uh, you know, getting lost in the Sahara desert and things like like that but it was not meant to be i just didn't touch my computer for three days and it was fantastic uh let's see so now i'm home again when it went to new york right after the memorial day weekend and now i'm home for 11 days which is the longest i've been home in one straight run since i think early april so i'm very excited about it i got home thursday it's sunday now the novelty has not worn off uh had a good time in new york this trip i had dinner with my friend meredith that was nice I saw my friend rob uh but you know i was just i was just happy to be home and here i am um and then last night we had dinner with the neighbors uh five couples from the neighborhood we all went into town big night on the town went to a greek restaurant and then a bar Turned out, oh God, why didn't I just put my, come on, man, it's the weekend. All right, took a pause there and turned off notifications, uh, but you know what? Props to Cloudflare because their customer support rep just answered me on a Saturday, so that's kind of amazing. It was not even an urgent question, so good for Cloudflare, everybody. Uh, and then I 
I'm sort of getting back into music or I'm, I'm starting to think about it. So I have been watching a lot of logic tutorials and, you know, I bought logic in 2012 and I've been sort of freeloading off of that one, but Apple doesn't support it anymore. So they've moved up to logic X the last couple of years. I just been getting by in garage band, but I really want to be able to make my MIDI synthesizers, external old MIDI synthesizers work with logic and can't do that with a garage band. So I finally sucked it up and I bought logic pro X and, and uh, I'm installing all the sounds on it right now on my music making computer. Put it on my main computer, which is so much faster. It's sort of my my central command workstation, this iMac Pro. It's just amazing. But, you know, all the synthesizers and everything are over there with this old beat up iMac. And I, I don't really want to rearrange my studio. So I'm just sort of downloading it all into that one. And uh, I'm going to hope, hope it works. It's not that old. It's 2013. It should be all right. Um, but we shall see. Let's see other Chatham County news. Uh, we got our electric bill and it was very exciting. It was only $70, which a year ago it was $418. So the solar panels are kicking butt. It's pretty exciting. We had two weeks there where we were full on, gave more power to the grid than we used, which was very exciting. But then it got really cloudy and rainy. It's been a very wet summer. So in the last two weeks have been not car, uh, you know, net positive on the power output. I just want more now. I'm, I'm addicted. I love it. Also, we had a crazy hailstorm this week, uh, two days ago. I put it on my Instagram stories when she saw it, but, uh, it was nuts and it knocked her power out for like 10 minutes, but the power walls kicked in and it was awesome. And we didn't lose power. And those things are really the greatest and I'm totally into it. I want to get more solar panels and more power wall. It's kind of like a diminishing returns on the solar panels. That's why they didn't put them in, you know, fixed costs with like less and less power, but I, I want to do it anyway. I want like sort of, you know, our house is on a, the house is on a north-south axis, so the, the roof slants are on east and west and not north and south. And uh, so it's not perfect, but I kind of want you know, So we have them on the east side, so we get all this, you know, the morning sun. But then in the evening sun, which goes really long here, uh, they're not on that side of the house. And I kind of want to put them on there. So I don't know. Maybe that's a bad idea, but I want more solar panels. Then I was looking at wind. Uh, it, anyway, we'll talk about this later. I'm very obsessed with the environment these days, so but we can postpone that because I've been reading books about it, too. Uh, we had a beaver dam and it was starting to overflow the dam on our pond. So Emma had to destroy half of the beaver dam. She looked up, you can, you can mess with their dams. You're not supposed to mess with their lodges. We don't actually know where the beaver lodge is. So that's not going to be a problem anyway, but we had to like, I mean, our pond was like going to overflow its dike. So we had to kill the beaver dam. That was kind of, that was kind of crazy. So, you know. Crazy times in Chatham County, man. Crazy times in Chatham County. Jane is doing good. She knows a lot more words. Book, sock, diaper. Uh, she had a new one today. I can't remember what it was. Waffles. She does waffle now. Uh, she's been a little cranky today, but it's it's been pretty good. She's just been underfoot because I've been doing stuff in the studio part of my studio. <laughs> That's redundant. There's a sort of my room is divided in half and there's a child sort of fence across half the half the studio down here and it's got all the musical gear and records and a bunch of photo books and stuff like that that she can't touch and she never goes in there and I never really go in there during the week but I was working on my getting the logic set up and getting sort of my synthesizers working and she was so mad she couldn't be in there with me and she was yelling and it was upset but uh, and she threw a fit in the grocery store yesterday morning because I wouldn't let her 
play with the lemongrass anymore. I always let her play with the lemongrass. It's like the first thing we pick up when we go to the grocery store. And she just sort of plays with it like drumsticks. But this time she was like ripping it apart. And I mean, you know, lemongrass is not easy to rip apart. But she was committed. And so I had to take it away from her. And then she just started screaming. And she's never done that in the grocery store before. So that was kind of embarrassing. And then today she was screaming during lunch when me and her and Emma and Janet were all hanging out for lunch. So I don't know. She's been a little cranky the last couple of days. But she's super cute. And she's overall in the last three weeks has been amazing. I'm really into my daughter. She's like, we're communicating more with her every day. It's pretty awesome. All right. Let's see music. Let's do a little logic check here. Oh yeah. We got 37 gigs of sounds to download. That's going to take a while. That's on the other computer, but I got, I got screen sharing so I can monitor it. Uh, music didn't sell too much on Discogs over the last three weeks. Only made three sales. So I guess Discogs is really slowly coming to an end. Uh, we sold the Nick Cave B-Sides box set, which I was sad about. I don't really think that exists on vinyl. I haven't looked, actually. I won't look. That'll be too expensive. Uh, and I'm having guilt about vinyl these days. But uh, then we sold a Richard Ashcroft CD alone with everybody. That's fine. Uh, speaking of Richard Ashcroft, the Verve got their money for Bittersweet Symphony. You guys hear about that? Uh, the Rolling Stones got a new manager, the daughter of the old manager. And apparently she's got some issues with her dad because she undid his decision and gave the Verve all their money back. Or, I don't know if it's like from here on out or retroactive, but the Verve get the money for Bittersweet Symphony now. So that's nice. Richard Ashcroft now has, now has a retirement plan. Uh, and then I sold the Primal Scream, Irvine, Welsh, and On You Sound System EP, The Big Man and the Scream Team Meet the Barmy Army, which is a sort of dub spoken word jam thing that Primal Scream did with Irvine Welsh, the author of Trainspotting. Uh, it's a good time. I used to be really into Irvine Welsh. I read all those books, went to see him speak a few times. I, I speak Scottish fairly well, thanks to some bands I toured in the 90s. So I enjoyed all those books. Annie and I used to go watch Irvine Welsh speak. And, you know, but I, I, I can understand it. Uh, so I gave that a new listen because somebody bought it and it was only a buck. It says there's zero demand for this thing. And you know what? It's not very good. <laughs> so that's fine. It can go. I will not hope that that's on final. Didn't see any live shows the last three weeks. Last thing I saw was that Simon Bonnie, Mark Lanigan show I told you guys about. I've just been chilling. It's been pretty sweet, honestly. Uh, but I did listen to a ton of new stuff. The first week of this three-week period, I was cleaning out my my to investigate queue and gave everything second listens. So this isn't that long. It's only about a week of new music. Uh, I found out there was a new Concrete Blonde album. Not new. <laughs> yeah, it's about 10 years old, but it was new to me. I didn't know it existed. It's called Mojave. And I, I don't remember why I got into Concrete Blonde again all of a sudden. I was listening to Bloodletting and Oh, I know why. I was working on my concert book. <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you about that project. But uh, I had spent a long time making a database of all the concerts I ever went to. And I had my friend Doug make me a little application, a web-based application that just gives me one concert and some notes about the concert and then a big text field. And then I just enter all my memories of that concert into the text field and I hit return. And then it gives me another one. They're in random order. And eventually when I finish all 5,000 of them, I'll have a book that is a book of my live show experiences. It's going to be my rock book. You know, music matters a lot to me in my life and I got to write at least one book about rock music right so I just work on it kind of on the side I got really inspired one day and I was like I need to get back into projects we'll talk about that in the project section but uh I got a prompt about a concrete blonde show at South by Southwest in 2004. And I was like looking it up and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It was 20 years after uh, bloodletting had come out. No, that's not right. I don't remember. Anyway, it got me thinking about bloodletting. 
and Concrete Blonde. And then I was like, wonder what's up with them. I would totally see them again. I've only seen, I saw them, I don't know, four times. I saw them open for Sting in, on the Bloodletting Tour. I saw them at the Middle East downstairs. Uh, and then I saw that one at South by Southwest. And then I saw one more somewhere. But I was seeing if they have touring anytime lately. Oh, no, they played twice in Boston. I saw them twice in Boston. I don't know. I think they were both at the Middle East, actually. But uh, and then in doing so, I noticed that they had this album called Mojave. It's pretty good. It's uh, darker and angrier than other Concrete Blonde albums, and uh, I was kind of into it. Uh, there's a new Hot Chip EP, Melody of Love. That was really good. Uh, two tracks with two mixes of each track, and they're both great. That was pretty excited. Uh, Listen to Ross from Friends, which is sort of like a grungy house, I guess you could call it. I learned about this move, this school of music from my friends Colin and Noah's email newsletter, and they're, they're way more into electronica and I am, but they're talking about this whole movement of sort of grungy um, house music. And they mentioned, they name-checked Ross from Friends and a band called DJ Seinfeld, and I was like, well, this is kind of a funny school of music. I should give them a listen. It was pretty good, actually. I'm not really an electronica guy. I mean, I like electronic music, but, you know, I don't really freak out about it or anything. But it was solid. I dug it. I'm, I'm into Ross from Friends EP. You'll understand. There's a new Sebado album called Act Surprise. I only gave it one listen, but I liked it so far. There is a new Josephine Wiggs album. It's called We Fall. Josephine Wiggs is awesome. Let's tell you about Josephine Wiggs. She has been in a lot of bands. She started out being in a band called The Perfect Disaster. She is perhaps best known as the longtime bass player in The Breeders and the woman that played the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do on Cannonball. She's usually in The Breeders. Every once in a while, I think one or two tours she's not been in, but she's generally in The Breeders. I first saw her perform live in Ultra Vivid Scene. and I saw them in Boston at Avalon. I think it was still City Club. It was on the Joy Tour. And, uh, oh my God, she was so awesome. I was like, that woman is amazing. And she just played that bass to the mercy seat, you know, nine minutes of dong, dong, dong. And she didn't move the whole time. And I was like, she's rules. <laughs> so I've been into Josephine Wiggs for, Wiggs for a long time. She was in Luscious Jackson briefly. She had a solo album with a band called the Josephine Wiggs Experience on Grand Royal back in the day. It was pretty good. Her longtime collaborator is a bass man from Spaceman 3. And they made this album together as well. But this one is like an ambient sort of mellow electronica album it's a, it's a good to listen to but it is basically background music i enjoyed it though it went into my spotify writing playlist uh listen to a band called fontaine's dc on the recommendation of my friend gareth k in san francisco album called dog roll it is pretty great they're sort of in that art brute meets the fall kind of thing it was awesome listen to the big thief album ufof everybody's talking about big thief and they say she's amazing and she's on 480 and i did like it and i didn't give it a super close listen but i've had the singles i've already given most of the singles to listen to and in the lead up to the album and i like it but man people go crazy for her so i think i'm gonna go see her she's gonna play at cat's cradle sometime this summer and i'm gonna go see big thief and i'm gonna decide from the live show there's a new Drab Majesty single called Long Division. It was great. I'm a big Drab Majesty fan. I like to think that they named that song after the Low album, but they probably didn't. A new Calm Trues album, Mellow Electronica, called Persuasion System. Uh, one listen. Enjoyed it. Don't remember much about it. A new Carly Rae Jepsen single <laughs> called Dedicated. People love that too, but I did not like it. There's two songs on there that were good, but I was like, mm. 
I, I don't know, man. I keep trying with Carly because like friends I respect really like her, like Augstone, but I, I just, and, you know, the pop songs are good, but I just, it doesn't really stick with me all the time. Sometimes some of them do, but you know, anyway, I'll give it another shot. And then there's a new Lloyd Cole single called Violins, which is basically really depressing and about drones and missiles and the shitty politics of our day. And I was like, man, if Lloyd Cole, you can't even listen to a Lloyd Cole single and without getting political, you know, you're in a dark timeline. So that's pretty depressing. Uh, I bought the vinyl version of the last Tim Hecker album, Anoyo, from Cranky Records, mail ordered directly from Cranky Records, and it's super cheap, by the way. I strongly recommend directly mail ordering from Cranky Records. Uh, that's a great record, but I did realize that my needle, my stylus was bent on my record player. I did a full adjustment on it and rewatched some YouTube videos to remind myself, looked up the tension for my stylus, and it was still noisy. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, it's because it's bent. So I haven't been able to listen to all these new records I have lately. I got the. Uh, the hardcore edition of the last mountain goats album which is amazing <laughs> in league with dragons it comes in like a green scaly dragon scaled sleeve <laughs> i'm really excited about that but i couldn't listen to that got the ted leo seven inch box set that goes with the hangman that was a kickstarter project from ted and finally shipped uh, so i can't listen to that yet i found a uh, a Secret Stars 7-inch at the thrift store or the vintage store in Pittsburgh, which is pretty exciting. I was like, oh, hey, look at this, Jody. I found one of your... Jody's an old friend of mine. She used to be a barbarian, so I was like, I sent her a picture of it, but I can't listen to that. Uh, that actually, I did listen to that on Spotify. Or not Spotify. I had, I don't know, whatever. And then I ended up buying all the Secret Stars vinyl I didn't have, so that's shipping this week. But I can't listen to any of it until the new stylist comes, but the stylist should be here Monday, so, you know, we'll be over that. And then I have been slowly watching The Cure's performance of Disintegration, at the Sydney Opera House. It's on YouTube. I strongly recommend it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, but I'm not done yet because, you know, they play for a long time, two hours. It wasn't as long as the show that Mike Anderson and I went to at the Beacon Theater where they played the first three albums and then all the singles up to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, and then all the B-sides, all the singles <laughs> up to Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. That was an awesome show. I'm really into The Cure Live. I'm very excited they're doing these shows. I really want to go to their festival in Pasadena. It's a great lineup. I love Mogwai. I don't think I'll be able to make it. I'm really hoping they'll do at least a proper tour. Maybe I can see them in New York or something. It's been a while since I've seen The Cure. It's been like four years. And I, I more, probably five or six, is when I lived in Brooklyn. So I really want to go to that. But we will see. We will see. But to tide me over, there is the live show on YouTube that I strongly recommend. All right, turning to TV, let's see. As usual, sucking up a bunch of MSNBC. I guess I've gotten a little bit better on it. I don't watch it all the time, but I start to keep up on the events. You know, Mueller's. I guess necessary, but also joke of a public statement. And then uh, Bill Barr kind of ruining the whole thing by saying, oh, no, Mueller could have found uh, I disagree with the assessment that he couldn't have found, you know, a, a charge or a conclusion or whatever. And I'm like, all right, well, then they should do it. And I find it really interesting that Mueller thinks he can just announce that this is all he'd testify to. It doesn't really work that way, man. <laughs> if you get subpoenaed, you got to testify. Uh, it's pretty weird, but, you know. We keep going. We keep watching. And then, but then there's a bunch of presidential stuff these days, which is kind of interesting. That's kind of fun in the presidential race, you know. Uh, yeah, we won't talk about that today. I finished Game of Thrones. Unlike everybody else, I liked it. I thought it was an amazing season. I don't know what everybody was really upset about. I get that the pacing changed, but I just look at it a little bit differently. First off, I don't think plot is quality. Plot is plot. It's part of a thing. And I look at it as a whole and, you know, 
let's see, their source material ran out. The ending, the end state was dictated to them. Their cast was sick of doing it and getting more and more expensive. And they had to wrap the whole thing up. And I thought they did a good job. Somebody said recently, they're like, if you watch all eight seasons in a row quickly, it doesn't, the pacing doesn't feel as weird. And it's actually quite good. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I was impressed. I was pleased. <laughs> I mean, there are some things I maybe voted under really, but it was me, but I'm not actually good at a plot. So like, I just would have changed it to something I like. I think they did something that was simultaneously satisfying, but also a little compelling and a little strange and a little uh, frictiony, noisy, tensiony. Uh, you know, I can't quite think of the right verb, but it kept that feeling of unease that the show has always had. Uh, I can't say I was super in love with the setting up for like, you know, sequel spinoff shows, Aria Goes West and whatnot, but, uh, you know, all in all, I was pretty satisfied about it. We've been watching the new Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season. I think it's fine. I don't know why I keep watching that show, but I enjoy it. It's probably one of, you know, it's like uh, serial TV made to be serial TV. And then we finally finished future man, which I loved. Uh, it's hilarious. I'm really into it. Two seasons are done. There's going to be one last third season. Uh, just, you know, I looked up the other day. Here's a fun fact. The second season of future man is a 100% on rotten tomatoes. So, you know, I'm not the only one, but overall, I'm not really watching a lot of TV. Uh, Emma watches it alone at night without me, which makes it sound sad and pathetic, but you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, she works on TV, so she's got to keep up on it. She's been working on Killing Eve lately, so that's the that's the show she's been working on lately. I think some other ones, too. A lot of four-year consideration stuff for uh, what was it? Uh, uh, that Breaking Bad spinoff. Better Call Saul. She works on Better Call Saul, too, as well. But anyway, me, I've just not been too into television lately. I don't know, man. I'm still into movies, though. I went and saw John Wick 3. It was great. I have some plot nitpicks on that one as well. Uh, you know, when there's this woman that represents the high table, she's called an adjudicator, and she's going around adjudicating, and she's like, in seven days, this will happen to you, to certain characters. And I'm like, really? All of these, Not one of these characters? Like, it just seems like a really opportunity here to go full circle to John Wick 1. And not one of these characters is like, you think there's going to be a high table in seven days? You think you're going to stop John Wick? But no one does. No one says that. And also, that's not what John Wick does. It, his actions in this movie, not the killing and fighting part, that makes sense. I guess, but like his, his actions as it relates to the high table were very confusing to me. And I, I, I think I'm a little sad because I think it is obviously a setup just to have a fourth movie. But on the other hand, if in two years they get the fourth movie and they do the things that the plot in the fourth movie that I wanted to see in this movie, I guess ultimately I get that reward. So what's a little delayed, uh, gratification, right? You know, I like to trust creators. It's hard to make a thing. It's hard to make a movie. Thousands of people and millions of dollars. And it's just hard. And I, I like to trust people. I mean, there are bad movies and mediocre movies, such as the other movie I saw in the theater in the last two weeks, which was Godzilla King of Monsters. It's fine. That's what my friend Sebastian said about it on Facebook. He said, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I mean... I don't know. You know, I feel like there's a new interesting way to like destroy the world in the movie where you could make people feel it again, feel the horror, but this was not it. And the monsters look cool and the monsters fighting were cool, but uh, you know, it's not realistic. Uh, also there is a 
sort of an important archaeological find that gets nuked without any like real like sense of loss or regret that kind of bummed me out i'm like oh that's, that's a shame uh but you know i enjoyed it i had a good time in the theater so that's an important thing right uh and then we watched babies which is a documentary about babies and when nick and megan were here they said that, that, that henry when he's a baby really liked it so their friend jesse was over with her baby june so we decided to put june and jane in front of the movie babies and see if they like interacted with the other babies and they did to some extent it was kind of cute but the movie is adorable and i had heard about it back when i haven't i feel like i even watched it but i don't think i watched the whole thing i think i must have watched a trailer or a preview or caught it on tv or something but we watched babies and it was great and then over the holiday weekend, we rewatched two movies. I rewatched Rogue One, which I like more every time I see it. I think that's a fantastic film. And we rewatched Crazy Rich Asians because Amelia hadn't seen it. And that's fun. It's a good feel good film. So, you know, that's the movie situation for this week. There's a lot of movies in the theater right now I want to see. I want to see Booksmart. I want to see. I don't remember what else I want to see. I want to see Endgame again before it leaves the theater. And. Oh, yeah, Rocket Man. I want to give Rocket Man a shot. That looks fun. It looks kind of surrealist, so I'm into that. Let's see. Books. All right. This is where things get intense, man. <laughs> There's a lot of reading. A lot of reading. Where to start? All right. First, we read the new novel by Ian McEwan, Machines Like Me, which is a novel about artificial intelligence. And it was really insane because it was basically the exact mix of sci-fi and Ian McEwan. And if you've ever read an Ian McEwan novel like Enduring Love, for example, or Atonement is another example, uh, and then mix that with sci-fi, <laughs> you can get this book. And I was like, this is really impressive. He had a book, two books, three books back called Solar, where he kind of tried to do this with like solar energy and green you can tell he's in, his head's in the same place as mine with a lot of this stuff. But it didn't work as well. But this one was a near perfect, but it was depressing. And I got really sad at the end of it. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I've, I'm pretty freaked out about artificial intelligence as it is. And general artificial intelligence and super intelligence. And I went on a big kick about it. And I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. But, you know, I read Nicholas Bostrom. I spent a bunch of my own money to fund the first and so far only study on public attitudes towards super intelligence talked to a bunch of people from the open AI and uh, Nicholas Bostrom's future of humanity Institute and Yale and Harvard and got deep into this for a while. And then I was like, I can't take it. I'm too depressed. And I got out because nobody cares. And it was depressing. Uh, read, uh, Obama's AI papers, like position papers back when we had a government that at least pretended to care about public issues. Uh, anyway, I read this book and I was like, it was fantastic. It was a really good book. And uh, I was still really depressed afterwards. And I got, went into this whole spiral about art and happiness and, and how I can't necessarily consume depressing art anymore. I, it's like, it's sort of happening medium by medium, right? I can still consume depressing nonfiction, uh, but I, this book made me wonder if I can consume depressing fiction anymore. And depressing television is really hard. Depressing movies are fine. I can watch depressing movies still. I can definitely still listen to depressing music. But I was like a little sad. And then I was like, oh, this is kind of sad. I don't know if I should be reading books like this anymore for my well-being, you know, like self-care, right? But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, I am healthier and I am happier, so maybe I should roll with this. <laughs> I haven't been reading a lot of fiction lately, as you know, so I was like, ah, maybe I should just uh, not read depressing fiction anymore. And, you know, I, if asked, my favorite books are, would be, uh, if somebody, you know, there are these habitual answers you give your whole life without thinking about it, right? Like, what are your favorite books? And I would say the top three are probably The Sorrows of Young Werther by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe and uh, Ada or Ardor by Vladimir. Nabokov. 
to like pronouncing those last names correctly and confusing people. And uh, I'm a giant George Sand fan. Uh, this, this girl I was friends with in the 90s hooked me on her by giving me, gifting me Leonel Leonay which she sort of implied was kind of like our relationship. And she was right. I was too histrionic and dramatic back then, but uh, it got me hooked on a lifelong love of, of George Sand. And I sometimes finish a George Sand book and just start bawling. I've got three more on my bookshelf right now on my reading pile. So, but anyway, my point is all oh, those are very depressing books. Right. And I, I, I identify with that. People say like, well, you know, what do you like to read? And I'm like, I had depressing novels, but that's not true. I don't read those anymore. And when I do read them, I get depressed and I don't like it. So, I'm going to stop for a while, I think. So anyway, I finished that. And then I read The Way of the Samurai by uh, Yukio Mishima. Uh, You will recall I recently discovered Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, an amazing film by Paul Schrader, uh, the screenwriter for Taxi Driver. Uh, And so, you know, I found this book at the Chapel Hill Library book sale. It was a dollar. And I was like, oh, I just watched a movie about Mission. I'll read this book. And, it's you know, it was fine. It's kind of book you can only write when you're already a famous writer where you take some ancient book. In this case, the Hagakure, the uh, sort of samurai way of the samurai Bible, if you will, and write your book about it being like, this is what this book says. It's like just a long book report about another book. And, you know, I guess it offers insight into Mishima's thinking when he committed suicide (laughs) at the uh, Japanese Self-Defense Force National Headquarters. Uh, It's all very interesting, but the writing itself is like, you're like, okay, I don't agree with your interpretation of this book. But it was kind of relevant because when I was watching John Wick 3, and somebody made an interesting comment on Twitter about John Wick 3. They're like, think of all these dudes that are fighting John Wick 3. They're standing there in the shadows and they're like, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to take out John Wick 3. Then they run out towards him and then they get shot and they die. And they're like, that's not very realistic but then i was reading this samurai book and i'm like well it is though these samurai people that's their whole thing right i have found that the way of the samurai is death and which doesn't mean that they want to die but it means if they're ever confronted with a life or death decision they choose the death path because they just go for it they do the thing that should be done even if it means dying and uh they explicitly tie it to that in uh john wick 3 one of the main villains is a japanese sushi making guy and he even says at one point the way of all of us is death or something like that directly quoting quoting or alluding to the hagakuri so you know that was cool it's like a whole school of thought that i don't really care about at all but like i guess now i'm versed in it i did buy for a buck as well the hagakuri on amazon used had it sent to the house i flipped through it but i was like no i'm done with this line of thinking paul schrader a good movie but i don't really care about samurais that much man but there was some fascinating stuff you know mishima wrote this book after world war ii you know when japan was in a certain mental spot and they were turning away from a lot of the samurai stuff that had sort of uh pervaded the culture during world war ii and and you know they interestingly i didn't know this they decided you know like during the war they lionized and all the uh kamikaze pilots but after the war they actually took it back and they said nope they were not noble deaths and i'm like that's kind of lame man they're already dead like <laughs> no, no take backs you know but you know it was obviously a country going through a whole reckoning and and mishima didn't agree with that he, he liked the way of the samurai but honestly reading in this environment i'm just like yeah mishima you just sound like some sort of like you know neoconservative nazi and like you know it it, it doesn't wash in this day and age so i was kind of i'm done with that then i moved on and i read uh i love art the new book by lisa carver who's an old friend of mine who writes so many books i'm so jealous she's so prolific and it was great 
Uh, I had seen her perform on the book tour a couple weeks back, you may recall, and I, I back her Patreon, Patreon, so she sent me the book, and I read it, and it was awesome. There was one section in there about hoarders that made me very, 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 very upset. She was watching hoarders, and uh, I don't even want to talk about it. This is very traumatizing, and... Uh, I really appreciate Lisa's ability to appreciate bad art as well. Like half the book, you know, it's not just like these are the great art things. She'll, she'll like just write an essay about some shitty movie she's watching on Lifetime and she makes it entertaining. And I like that. And, you know, I was reading this not long after the Game of Thrones uh, finale and I was like, I wonder what Lisa would think of the Game of Thrones finale. She'd have such a different, interesting take on it. I should ask her about that. Anyway, great book. Strongly recommend it. And then I read a weird book called Mr. Summer's Body by Patrick Suskind. Patrick Suskind is best known as the author of a novel called Perfume that was really right up my alley in the 80s. I guess I read it in like 1987. I was still dating Anne when we both read it. And uh, it was sort of an international bestseller. It was a very, very big deal. It was later made into a movie by Thomas Diekver. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. The director of Run, Lola, Run. And uh, it's a great movie. And it's a great book. And I was like, oh, I didn't know Patrick Suskin had other books. So I'll pick it up. And so I picked up this book. It's a very slim volume. It's illustrated. It's almost a children's story, aside from the subject matter but uh you know it's quick read a couple hours and it is also very depressing and i was like oh man i just fell for this i just said after the McEwen novel machines like me i'm not going to read any more depressing fiction and here i know i'm reading depressing fiction it's only been three books later and i was really upset but i did find out that patrick suskin is a total recluse and apparently he barely ever writes he only wrote one other novel a short novel after uh, perfume. Then he wrote this book I read, Mr. Summer's uh, not Body Story. Sorry, Mr. Summer's Story, and uh, that's it. Then he wrote one like nonfiction essay book that I think I'm gonna have to read now, and that's it. He just disappeared. He lives in his home, the town he grew up in, on the lake in Switzerland, and he just doesn't talk to anyone. There's very few photos of him, and he's just a total recluse. So that was interesting. I uh, I just thought he was like a you know, like a band you liked that kept making albums and you stopped buying them, but they're still just going strong. I thought there maybe there are like 30 Patrick Suskin books by this point. Well, maybe 10, 20. It's been like 30, you know, 30 years since I read it. But uh, nope, nope. He's just a recluse and he doesn't write. So maybe he's like Donna Tart, or maybe he's maybe he's like Salinger and he's secretly writing the whole time, but we won't tell us and we will never know about it. I don't know. It's kind of interesting though, isn't it? Uh, and then I started reading Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming, edited by Paul Hawken of Smith and Hawken fame and funded by Tom Steyer, who, of course, you all know, is busy funding impeachment stuff these days. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. They realized that there was no comprehensive plan to... Uh, I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but basically what they do is they, they evaluate every uh, possible method of reducing carbon in the atmosphere, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and they, 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 they rate it on like cost and effectiveness and ROI, and then they go through it by category, energy, then food, then architecture, then cities, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's, yeah, you know... I don't know. I mean, I'm reading it and I'm like, well, this is all good information and I like it. And I like that it really helps with your relative understanding of things. Like you realize how big of a deal meat is, you know? So now I'm back on a try not to eat meat kick and you realize that solar is a big deal and wind is huge and you know, it helps, it helps a lot. But it, at the same time, like the idea of somebody ever like actually being like, okay, we're going to do all these things. is just a freaking joke, right? Like nobody's going to do that. 
uh, yeah. And so Megan was visiting and she was really obsessed about the environment. I'm really obsessed about the environment, but we sort of are handling it in different ways. She's like more proactive. And I was like, I'm still just in a funk about the whole thing. And I read an article after she left that was like, Oh, by the way, all recycling is a lie. I kind of knew this. I knew that like I had read about China stopping taking our stuff, but it's worse than I thought. And the plastic thing is really bad. And it really bummed me out. And I was like, man, you know, we should just, I was thinking I might just never let plastic leave the house. Like I got a big attic. <laughs> this is kind of nuts. I know. But like the minute, like your plastic bag, your plastic leaves your control. There's no guarantee. It's not ending up in an ocean. It's, it's not going to be part of the great garbage spiral. Right. In the Pacific. So I was like, I just won't let any of it leave the house. Uh, bottles are okay. Apparently those are, there's a recyclable market for bottles. So I will still recycle my bottles. Um, and then I spent a ton of time on my County's website trying to figure out what happens to our recycling and they don't say anywhere. So I'm going to have to do more research on that. I did find out our power comes from a nuclear power plant though. So, you know, say what you want about nuclear, at least it's pretty clean in the uh, immediate term. So I don't have to feel terribly guilty about that. That was something, but, uh, yeah, you know, it was just, uh, this book is, it, it, I will say it's making me like when I read it, it's not bumming me out. I'm like, oh, we could do this. Okay, we could do this. Like, oh, that's interesting. Like, it's all there. It's all doable. I mean, you know, and then there's the things that like are getting done, whether we want it or not, like wind and solar. Those are just happening, you know, whether we do anything or not, they're just happening. It's getting cheaper than oil and it's going to like keep changing. So that's, you know, there's some, there's some good stuff. But then you see something like this Economist article this week and they're like, more people on the planet are eating meat. I'm like, that's not good. That's not good can't keep eating all this meat man so i'm trying to cut out meat i don't know what i'm going to do about it though with my bone broth because i'm totally hooked on my bone broth so i don't know it's a big dilemma in my life right now and that book is long so i'm reading it sort of as i go it's on the kindle all the other books i mentioned i'm reading are paper books so i've been reading it mainly in travel i'm trying to plow through this stuff on my reading pile on my desk or my nightstand that's been there forever so i'm reading paper books and that means currently i'm reading one of the novels in the six novels by Colette book I've been carrying around for 25 years. It's time I finally read it. So I'm reading the first novel in it. It's called Music Hall Side Lights, which is a weird name, but in French, it's called Toward the Music Hall, L'Envers Music Hall. So, yeah, but uh, it's good. I like it. I'm into it. I will read a Colette novels between everything else, you know, because I got to keep my woman ratio up. I'm still heavily, heavily, well over 50% female, even after going through the Ian McHugh and, and the Mishima novels and the Patrick Suskin novel. So, you know, but I will read the uh, Colette novels as I go. There's six of them. I'll read those in between. Uh, and then I got to read this Wanamaker biography next. And then uh, Neil Ferguson's Ascent of Money. I've been meaning to read that for like 10 years. So I'm finally going to read that. And then a Van of Our Bush biography. So I'll read those with the Colette books in between and finishing Drawdown when I'm on planes. So that's what's going on with the reading right now. Whoops, we had a little pause there. I had to fix the download of the 40 gigs of extra instruments in Logic X that's going on on my other computer. I don't know if something happened to it, so I had to stop it. Uh, anyway, we're turning into tech. Uh, yeah, let's talk about 5G. This is going to be this is going to be a bit of a rant. I apologize in advance. So, 5G. There's kind of two things going on with 5G that I think we're all dimly aware of, and I've been sort of exploring them both, right? Number one is, <laughs> people are getting really nervous now. <laughs> Number one is that there's this like pervasive fear of the health effects of 5G, right? Which is sort of the 
exaggerated amplified version of the health effects that we've had around cellular forever except 5g kind of works because it's sort of a lot more cells a lot of more powerful smaller cells that's how 5g gets its extra speed right and there's a lot of people freaking out about that because of the health effects i don't really know one way or the other is i read an article two years ago about the health effects and it was actually a very interesting article that was you can imagine what i'm going to say it was more about like the funding of the scientists that tell it's okay right and i terrified me and it's like oh god you know this could be like this could be like the cigarette industry blah 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 and that's what the author of the article was saying it's like well this study and this study these are the ones that people base on that say there's no problems and they're funded by these people and we don't really talk about this enough and i don't know i freely admit i don't know then i read an article in the new york times about russia today and how they're stoking fears of 5g they like bring on these whack job people and they, they get americans scared of 5g even as they're funded by russia and russia is doing a full 5g rollout right and it was like a misinformation kind of campaign to scare us about 5g Right. So, you know, it could be good, it could be bad. No way of knowing really. And that's kind of my point is the no way of knowing really. It's kind of awful that I say that, but let's face it. It's not okay. It's not a hundred percent true, right? There is of course a way of knowing, but you have to do all the work yourself. So that New York Times article, it was like, and you know, of course they're not true. Here's a quote from one scientist. And it was just some one random scientist. And we're supposed to believe this one random scientist. And New York Times doesn't say if they're funded or they have studies, why they're an expert in the field. And if they are an expert in the field, was it who is funding the studies? All the stuff you really would need to know to like decide to trust one random scientist in this age of paranoia, right? They just don't do any of that. Like the media just fails on that front. They're just like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but you probably said that about cigarettes in the 60s and 50s. And like, I just can't believe you by saying that right so you could you could go to the bottom of this you could go and you could go to libraries or subscribe to the medical journals you could read all the studies about electromagnetic radiation and you could learn about 5g and you could do amplifying math you could read meta studies you could research the the backgrounds and funding of the people that were the authors of those studies you could do all of that yourself and Sadly, you basically have to because nobody's doing that for you anymore. And even if they did, you wouldn't necessarily trust them because we have no trust anymore. We know that the media is completely manipulated, right? And there's no way to do all of that yourself for every topic because 5G is just one topic, right? I mean, like, who knows what else you should be doing this about? And it's not possible. And there's no trust anymore. And like, yeah, maybe like you guys, I know you guys. And if I did all that work, like I'm doing with the advertising stuff and I told you, you might trust me, but like one level out, your friends, friends might not trust me. And you know, the further you get from the person that did all the reading of all the research, then you, the less the trust happens. Right. And the, the media is doing nothing to fix that sort of thing. And it's just a real bummer. It's like a sort of indictment of how modern society works. It's impossible for all of us to do all the work ourselves on every topic of everything that might be killing us and it's a waste of time and you're not living if you do it but no service is doing that for us the surgeon general's a failure the cdc's a failure we don't trust any of these people regulatory capture is out of control like the only people that care about a topic are the people making money off of it so they fund everyone and they ruin the science and it's like turnkey we've just gotten very good at doing that and obfuscating everything over the 20th century businesses become expert at this and you know science and peer review and and academic journals they're still there and they're still going strong but their interface with like society at large is essentially broken and it's a real bummer and so then turning to the other aspect of 5g we have way away right w-a-w-e-i uh, -E the large chinese conglomerate that is in the throes of or in in, in the crosshairs of trump right now around uh, 5g 
So basically, Trump has banned this company, uh, and the Justice Department has issued an arrest warrant for the CFO, who is now holed up in Canada under arrest, and they are planning on extraditing the CFO to the United States for crimes unspecified. And we made it, the Justice Department basically made it illegal to work with this company, and everybody, all the big companies that they worked with in the United States, Google won't let them use Android anymore. Uh... What's the the other processing company? Uh, ATI? Uh, God. Oh, no, Arm, sorry. Arm isn't working with them anymore. All these people aren't working with them. And uh, nobody's quite sure what the government is basing this on. Is it just Trump and his weird trade war stuff? Is it just sort of strategic problems? Is it... Is it, uh, you know, like they did something really bad because a couple of years ago they did, were doing a lot of bad stuff. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny because like basically I think what's happening and you read it like, so I read another article, same thing, five security analysts telling us what the, what the government, whether we should be worried about why, why. And, you know, four of them were like, yeah, we should totally be worried. And the fifth one's like, nah. And I'm, <laughs> but one of them said basically I think is the truth, which is like, look, maybe they did some bad stuff. Maybe they didn't do some bad stuff. But the fact of the matter is you cannot make this stuff secure if you don't trust the manufacturer. They can it can be 100 percent secure when they bring it out. Then they push it like, a, a, you know, an update and then they're not secure. They could hire microscopic chips on these things that you can't check. It's just impossible to make it secure. And like you should not have another country making your 5G network. And the United States is just like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And I actually think I agree with that but you know the flip side of that is nobody should be trusting the united states electronics right cisco nobody should be using them because it's the same shit like the federal united states government hasn't sort of presented itself as a trustworthy keeper of safe companies they, they're like trying to compromise our tech companies all the time right so the whole thing is a giant mess and like our entire internet is not secure there uh, you probably didn't even hear about this but in the last week there was yet another universal vulnerability in all intel chips cool no biggie just every computer was secretly not secure ever but <laughs> which sounds paranoid but it was true uh but you know didn't really make the news so you know the modern world is rubbish is basically what i'm saying it's a big drag you can't trust anything you read and it's really bumming me out but then i had this revelation yesterday and it's made me feel a lot better i was thinking back to the 90s and i was driving oh god it was not even the 90s it was the 80s <laughs> It was probably like 1988 or 1989, and I was driving on Rosie Creek Road in Fairbanks, Alaska, going towards China Ridge. I was driving from my friends Pam and Renee's house. I think it was Pam in the car with me, although today I was thinking it might have been Carrie. I can't remember. But uh, we were driving down the road, and it was in the winter, and the road was really icy, and it's like a winding road on a cliff with a giant sort of uh, cliff that goes down to a, a river, and there's no guardrail, and it's a pretty terrifying road in the winter. And I went around a turn, and I slipped on a patch, skidded on a patch of ice in the car we were in, which was my trusty 1985 baby blue Honda Prelude, spun 360 in the middle of the road, right at the edge of the cliff. And then it just spun all the way around and faced forward again. And I finally got control of the car and we just kept driving. And when it happened, it was in the slow motion. And both of us were too freaked out. We didn't say anything. We just were dead silent. And the car just spun all the way around. And then, like, I got control. And then we just kept going. We got within, like, a foot of this giant cliff. We could have rolled off of it. We would have died. I have no doubt. A friend of mine did that in a similar location not far away a year or two later. And they did die. So, you know, safe safe bet. We would have died. 
And then we kept driving. We didn't speak for like a minute. And then finally we were like, oh my God, we both got and we totally freaked out. And I was like, that's actually a metaphor for life these days, right? Like modern life is a car spinning slowly 360 degrees on an icy road at the edge of a cliff. And all you can do is keep trying to get control of the car and not freaking out. And maybe the car will like straighten out again and keep going and everything will be okay. And then you can freak out and be like, oh my God, I can't believe we just got through that. That's so crazy. Or maybe the car will just go over the cliff and you'll die. But all you can do right now when the car is spinning is keep your head and try and steer the car. And there's no point worrying about it one way or the other because the worry is not really going to help. So like all I can do is I can just recycle and try and make my house better and try and do everything I can, donate money to the right causes and the right politicians and, and just sort of not freak out. And just remember we're in a car spinning 360 degrees and hopefully it'll ride itself magically like our car did and we'll keep going and we won't tumble off that cliff. about it for this week hope you enjoyed that cheery uplifting ending right uh thank you so much for listening sorry it took three weeks i won't let that happen again we'll do this a little bit quicker we're coming up on one year now and i thought we found a pretty good rhythm with being every week or two so we'll get back into that hope you guys are doing well next week we'll talk a little bit about next time we'll talk a little bit about work maybe some other stuff maybe i'll be feeling better not so depressed about the environment so take care talk to you soon